So here, the Ten Commandments uh, from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 21, and I'll be reading from the message translation. God spoke all these words. I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. No other gods, only me. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form, or anything of anything whatever, whether of things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God. And I'm a most jealous God, punishing the children for any sins their parents pass on to them, to the third, and yes, even the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I am unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work, not you, not your son, not your daughter, nor your servant or maid or animals, not even the foreign guest visiting in your town. For in six days, God made heaven, earth, and sea, and everything in them. And God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart as a holy day. Honor your father and mother so that you'll live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting about your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. All the people experiencing the thunder and lightning, the trumpet blast and the smoking mountain were afraid. They pulled back and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. The people kept their distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. And this text, our accompanying gospel text from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Jesus said, again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head because you cannot make it one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Hear what the spirit is saying through the scriptures. Thanks be to God. Well, Brian, Every time we have been preaching on these texts from Exodus, these 10 matters or words or commandments, we've started with, well, this will be simple. 
<laughs> and then we discover that there's a whole world underneath a simple phrase of just don't lie, don't perjure yourself, don't murder, whatever it is. So I'm curious, what is the thing that drew your attention in this very brief text? It's only a few words. I know. Yeah. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. What did you see? Well, I, um, I guess the thing that struck me is it stood apart to me from the previous things that God had commanded. I mean, you honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are pretty tangible things, more tangible than this one to me anyway. I mean, they're, they're like, there can be actions that you actually, I mean, Jesus later points out can happen in your heart. But the idea though, is they deal with something tangible that's happened where this one is, is, is less so. It's more interior. I mean, I can, I can perjure myself against my neighbor. I can give false testimony. I can lie about my neighbor in my own heart and no one needs to see. And, and, and the, other, the other reality of this language, neighbor, um, Jesus turned that around on, the, on a guy in scripture and said, you know, who was the neighbor to the one who fell among the thieves in one passage? And so the neighbor language is really about how we are neighbor to somebody else, not the question of who is the neighbor around us. It's everybody. I mean, we got to get that straight. So I was, I, those are some of the things that were boiling around in my heart and the idea of, of how we use our language uh, struck me, how, how we do speak, when we do speak, and, and how the language we use can be a tearing down of another. And I don't, you know, whomever it is, right? Um, it's happening to a lot of different people. Uh, in our world, there's conversations that happens against, you know, like um, people that are in governmental places, we can perjure them with the language we use against them or other people in our neighborhoods. And, and just there's that dynamic of how we use our tongue to, to harm. And, and we don't need to, there's no cause. But the thing that really just really caught me is, is just like, what do I learn about the character of God, that God cares what I think about somebody else or what I say or don't say about them? What might that tell me that, 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 that we have the kind of God that really knows what's going on? And isn't, isn't blind to it. In fact, deeply is invested in how I care or do not care for someone around me. Yeah. That's such an interesting question. It's clear to me that it's highly important. This idea of bearing witness faithfully and truthfully to what is happening around us in the world, what is happening in ourselves lives Mm -hmm. in, I would say, I, I don't think I'm stepping outside the bounds here every single book of the Bible, right? Something, you know, from the prophets, the Proverbs deal extensively with truth telling and what happens with what you do with your mouth, what happens in your heart. Jesus spends way more time on truth telling than he spends on nearly anything else other than maybe money. Right. Right. Uh So there's like something in here that is, like you said, so deeply core to who God wants us to be and therefore who God is, because those things are related. I'm wondering what you think is at the heart of it. Yeah, what does it, it say? It, it's really, I, 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 that's the problem. <laughs> what does it say? Yeah, what does it say? But I was, I was struck with the, um, I just came to mind that the story of, okay, so it's David and Saul. Saul's pursuing David. It's before David's king when Saul's still king, uh, history of Israel. And um, 
Saul has just come back from pursuing the Philistines and he hears David's hiding in the wilderness of En Gedi. So he gathers 3,000 troops. These guys have just been pursuing people and he brings them again, gathers 3,000, not 300, 3,000 troops to go pursue one guy who's hiding with about 600 guys, which seems like a really over, over thing, you know, over the top thing. Yeah, out he of goes, proportion. I know, yeah, it's like, whoa. He goes, ends up, you know, needing to go to the bathroom when they came by these caves, by the sheepfolds. He goes in the cave, Saul goes in the cave to use to do so. And, and David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. And David's men say this to him. See, this is what God said. He will put your enemy into your hand to do as you wish with him. Hmm. And David goes forward and cuts the corner off Saul's robe and immediately feels convicted in his heart. He feels like he's done something horrible. Hmm. And he says to his men, I will never again raise my hand against my master who is an anointed of the Lord for he is anointed by the Lord. I'll never do that. And I just think that David felt like he'd perjured Saul by his actions without saying a word. Hmm. You know, like he, he had borne a false witness in that degree. And, and like, and it mattered to him. Um, yeah. and even, though, even though the guy he did that to was coming against him, trying to kill him. Seems like it was a worthwhile time to stab him in the back, but no, no. He doesn't. And then he feels bad about cutting the corner off his robe. And so I just, it's just like that God cares this much. And like, like this conviction here. Um, I think I th- even the smallest things matter. Yes. When it comes to truth telling and yes. doing what you have promised to do. Yes. Yeah. Even when the person's acting like an enemy. Yeah. I don't like this passage. <laughs> This is, this is fair. And, you know, I wonder if some of the reason that we, we want this to be about like the courts and false witness against somebody who has done something. And we want to make it very technically about um, how do we behave around taking an oath in court again as a witness, as a formal witness. And there's lots of support, um, you know, like on the Bible, right? That kind of thing. Um, there's lots of technical support that that is well, part of this or is even primarily what it means to give false witness against a neighbor. But it feels a little bit like a sidestep to me to say yeah. because- well, it makes it safer. How often are you in court? It makes it so safe and it makes us not have to deal with the fact that, you know, we all lie all the time. Mm-hmm. We all slander people in our minds or hearts or actually all the time. We, we behave as though what we say against someone else or what we say in the world doesn't matter unless it benefits us, right? All right. the time. And right. so I, that's the piece that I think for me is about like who God is, maybe getting an answer to your wondering about the character of God is that God really cares that what we say and do matches what is actually the kingdom. Yeah. And when we uh, prefer ourselves, our own reputation, saving face, our own power, our own economic stability over the well-being of other people, and we lie in order to do it, or we perjure ourselves in order to do it, that's clearly in violation of the character of God. Right. God always prefers the person who is the underdog. Right. 
Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's powerful. That's a powerful picture. And does that relate to some of the things that you saw in the scripture too? I mean, how did you come out of this? It does. Um, I wondered starting out, like, what new thing can you say about this? Frankly, don't lie. It's hard for all of us and don't do it. Except then I read that in um, the ancient world, and especially in this context of, of the ancient Near East and Judaism, if you were put in a position where you had to witness against someone else and you lied, if you bore false witness, you were subject to the exact same punishment they would have received if they had been prosecuted, regardless of the crime. Wow. Now, this blows my mind. So if I lied about something that would end with, you know, you got to pay a little bit of money, you're the one who pays the little bit of money. But if you lie about something like murder, that's a capital crime. You're the one who is executed. That's an old style of, of law. But the idea that what, what it brought to me and what it made me think about was, holy moly, that's how weighty this false witness stuff is. That's how weighty lying can be. But the impact is on you as heavy as it is on the other person. And that it's built into the fabric of the thing wow. that if that wow. is found out, you will be harmed to the same level that you harmed another. And there, there was another piece of, in there that I think is equivalently mind-blowing to me, which is that if you are giving false testimony, that doesn't just include testifying with false words, like out loud. It also is, uh, it means failing to come forward with relevant testimony in response to charges. So that means that speaking the wrong thing is terribly bad. Don't do it. Don't lie. But also staying silent when you could tell the truth is identical. Oh my gosh. That was when I went, I don't like this commandment. Yeah. I don't um, want to deal with this commandment anymore because how often yeah. are we silent in the yeah. face of something that we know is wrong? How often? I, I don't even know how to talk about that. So mm -hmm. That's where I went. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it almost gives me a little bit of a stomach ache thinking mm. about it, especially when, you know, we've been thinking very deeply in our context, in our church about dismantling racism and what does it mean for our primarily white church to be in that work and to think carefully about that and how heavy silence is in that effort that most often white mm. folk are silent in the face of injustice because it benefits us to be silent instead of to speak out or we're afraid of what will happen to us when in fact what this text tells us is your silence is killing people your yeah. silence is just as bad as speaking a lie yeah. and there is yeah. a lot of navigating to do in there for me mm -hmm. because that's some heavy stuff especially today especially in a, yeah. in a context where we find ourselves constantly talking about fake news. There's lots of, lots of lying in the world right now. And it's hard to know where to speak, where not to speak, but there's something in there. Well, and it's hard, especially I think in that context that everybody seems to have a truth that they've landed on and they're not open, like conversing about that. Yeah. You know, what does it mean to talk anymore? And, and, and how can we have conversations where we disagree with 
the other person without demonizing them. And I, and that, that's so difficult for us because we love labels. Yes. Oh, that person's just a, whoop. and, and then, and already that perjures us against, like we are already, um, that, that puts a false witness against another person. Anytime I think we uh, dehumanize another person, it's actually falling into this place, right? In oh, interesting. So labeling someone or making assumptions about them and then therefore falling down the cliff of, and this therefore is all true, is in some ways in the category of false witness. You're bearing false witness against your neighbor by yeah. putting them into a box that you did not talk about them with. Yes. Talk about with them. Huh. And well, nobody, nobody fits in a box, no but we, we, but we quickly put people in boxes yeah. and, and, and have an, an idea of what it means for them to fit there. And, and I think that that's, that's our problem with, with like this kind of dynamic. Yeah. So that's why it does relate to all these other various societal areas is how do we, how do we do that? How do we Absolutely. not? Well, over and over again, false witness is paired with slander and gossip in scripture. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. It's not just a coverall. Like there's some yeah. serious behaviors yeah. around speech that always get kind of pooled together. And I think that that is one we're we're real good in the church about uh, we're good gossips. We call it all sorts. Of, <laughs> we call yeah. it all sorts of things. We call it pastoral care, you know, or or Stephen ministry or whatever. We, you know, yeah. we could be we call it prayer. Um, Very blessed. Yeah. <laughs> We can be really good gossips, mm -hmm. but we can also fall into this slander and false witness category you're talking about. That's really interesting to me to think of it being deepened in that way. Yeah. And uh, it, it, what it also calls to is this covenant question or promise question. We talked about promise and adultery uh, last week or two weeks ago. And the way that building covenant means that you have to be in clear conversation. Covenants can change, but you have to actually agree to something. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the secret to avoiding violating covenant is to not make covenants. Right. You're going to make oaths, right? We can't right. just say, as I, my mother used to say to me when I was a child, oh, I just can't promise anything about that. I can't promise at some point, you're going to have to make promises of some kind and you have to choose which ones you're going to make. And then you have to be really clear right. that those are the ones you want to keep. Right. And I think, <laughs> right. And I think that with this one, with the false witness one, it's very similar to adultery in that you're making a promise and you have to figure out, is that what I really want to do? Because if I'm promising something, if I'm saying I'm going to, hold to my word, my word matters. And I'm saying that my word is my promise, my oath, then your whole community could come to into doubt or under doubt if you break that word because right. we're all together. And so right. you're making, it, it impacts not only you as a person individually, but also the community, but then also to people who are not in the community of outsiders view of who God is. Because if you say you're a person of God, and then you act like this, it reflects on the character of God that you brought up right. earlier. Right. So it all starts to swirl for me. It's like, whoa, this is so important. It's so big. It becomes yeah. so big. Well, I, I like you brought it back there because that's where the, the commandment falls, right? Into the, uh, the two great commandments, love God, love people, love others, right? 
And, and so it falls in the love others category, which means it's not loving to not keep those promises, which really falls in the Matthew passage, right? The saying one word to let your yes be yes, you know, be no. But that the whole picture of, you know, how do we love? Well, we love by, by not perjuring others, by not giving false words about them or thinking false things about them. We love well by, by getting to know what the other person is thinking and why they're where they are and how they got there. I, um, is that the good I, news in this passage for you? Where's the good I, news? I, I, I think that for me to know that we have a God that cares about how we, that cares about my, the way I operate in this world with others means a great deal to me because it means we have a God that is intimately connected to our, our living out of our faith on a daily moment by moment basis and not someone that's, that's disregarding that, like that, that doesn't relate to it. I guess it makes our faith very incarnational. It, it makes it, it, we have to, we have to put feet to it for it to really matter. And it's not just something that's, that's somehow separate from the words I use in this setting and the actions I, I do in this setting. It's connected to all those things. And I think that sometimes we, I like to compartmentalize things, especially faith. And God does not allow that to happen as far as these commandments are concerned, right? You just, no, it's all connected. Yeah. What is a greater through line on your life than the words that you say on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that this is where, I don't know, this, this, is kind of a, this is kind of a turning thing for me, but this is where this relates also to how do I treat myself? Yeah. How do I think towards me? Because Jesus's restatement of the second great commandment, also from the book of Leviticus, obviously, he pulled both of those two great commandments from Leviticus, just not from the 10, but they summarize the 10 novelly, um, is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this, don't purge your neighbor by the words you speak, is, is gotta, it's gotta involve how we treat ourselves as well. Because mm-hmm. if I am not caring for myself, I'm not gonna care for others well either. Yeah. And, and it won't, it, it, it flows over from how I think about myself. So it's even that I, I, I tie it back to, it's like how I even commit to be uh, mean-spirited towards me is going to have an impact. God cares about that and is going to have an impact on others. Um, years ago, Karen, my wife and I had these discussions about how I didn't care for myself. And, and because of being married and because of the connection of marriage, she felt like, she felt less cared for if I wasn't cared for myself. Because if I was self-hatred, if I was bearing in self-hatred towards myself, if I wasn't, you know, exercising or getting out and working in the garden or whatever needs to, life stuff, that was a reflection for her. It just demonstrated that I wasn't, that I wasn't there to care for her. There was like an overarching connection for her. I don't know if I said that well, but yeah. the, but the, it was really a powerful conversation at that point in our lives because I suddenly realized that all my efforts to demonstrate care if I wasn't caring for myself didn't matter because they, they were undercut by the fact that I was living in self-hatred. And so that's, I think it relates to that too. And so maybe another question for the populace as they discuss this is, and how are you living this out in your own heart with yourself, not just with others? It's such that- a beautiful question because how can you love somebody else if you aren't practicing it at home 
Right. And no, no place is more home than you. So we're, and there are so many places. I'm so glad you brought this in because it just makes me think of a thousand different ways in which we bear false witness about ourselves. Sometimes those things don't even come out of our mouths, but they're just rattling around in here. (laughs) The narratives, right? (laughs) Yeah. And all the voices and all of the comments and all of the names we call ourselves and the things that are truly false witness. And that, yes. That that is, if we believe, as we do, that we in we hold and are responsible to carry the flame of the divine self in our own selves, then when we're bearing false witness against ourselves, we are fundamentally attacking that divine piece of yeah. ourselves, right? Yeah. And that's against the commandment that's, that's for really sure. Good. That's right. It's really bad. That's Just really bad. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating, Brian. That's, I'm going to carry that away. Um, it's really beautiful. I, it makes me think about where the good news is for me. Uh, and one of the places is that a word like this can have so many different ways it impacts today, yeah. right? Yeah. That it's so much bigger. Uh, that, that the scripture itself is sort of beyond even this text, but that the scripture itself can be so dynamic in that way. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is how, how do we think about the fact that Jesus was the word, right? And the truth and the life. And we have all of these metaphors that are used for him and his way of being uh, in, the, in the world, but also beyond the world as the cosmic Christ. And the word is a central part of his identity. What is true? What is said that words make the world Mm -hmm. literally in Genesis, God speaks and the world is made. It's just out of the words. And so when, when we are using our words falsely, we're making something. Mm -hmm. We're just making the world that we don't want to have. Right. And so the good news is that we have a lot of control over that. God has given us a lot of liberation in that we can Mm -hmm. actually do it differently. This is a place where I feel like I have a lot of control over Mm -hmm. the way that I operate. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful because there's lots of times when I don't feel like that. Well, that, that is beautiful. We do have a lot that we can do and how we manage the language that we use about ourselves. And the more we manage ourselves, the more it'll change how we view others, which is an amazing connection in this. Well, we have some questions for people. Well, let's let's move to that and then we'll pray and sing our benediction. It's been really nice to have this conversation with you. Thank, Thank you. you. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's so nice to have this, uh, share these words with you, these yeah. true words, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so the questions that we have for you all are these two. Uh, One of them is a little bit look outside and one of them is a little more look inside. So where first have you seen false witness be really damaging recently? Where have you had that experience of false witness recently? Perhaps it's in your own personal life. Perhaps it's in the larger, larger world, but really be specific about that. And then second, what do you learn about the character of God? Because this it matters to God that how you talk about people and yourself matters to God. What does that tell you about the character of God? Brian and I wrestled with that question a little here, but you will probably have more insights to that. So what does it say about God that that's true? 
All right, friends, we will send those questions out to you in various formats so you have access to them to think about them this week. Uh, but first, let's pray, and then I'm going to sing the benediction to you. Let's pray. Oh, God, who leads us from death to life with people of all times and all places. We gratefully give ourselves to you for you alone are holy and you draw us into holiness day by day, moment by moment and breath by breath. This morning, having wrestled with these words, these, these matters that are so deep and important, we breathe out to you our gratitude, our hope, our sense that in fact you have liberated us as you liberated the people of Israel. And we breathe in your grace and your constant promise, your unrelenting and steadfast love. And we give you thanks for all of these things and are reminded that in fact you are a God of promise, a God of covenant, and that you hold those promises closely. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, as we do every week, we will sing the benediction. If you'd like to sing along at home, as I know many of you do, you can do that. It's very familiar to most of you at this point. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you and give you, give you, give you peace. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Be safe, be well. We love you. We will see you soon. Bye-bye.